This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. And welcome to Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Oh, forgot to mention the show title sponsor brought to you by excess sites. Sorry, getting back to my old ways. <laughs> uh, also, today is Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. As of the recording of this show, again, I am the host, Riley Bowman, Matthew Marister with me, also host. Back for the nightcap. I'm here. <laughs> back for the nightcap. Yeah. We're into those evening hours where you're located. <laughs> Sorry about that, brother. It's all good. So today's episode is titled, Your Car is Not a Holster or a Safe. Uh, we're going to talk about some issues relating to, uh, well, we'll talk about leaving guns in vehicles. I know Jason, who's watching and, and commented on Facebook already, uh, mentioned that there are sometimes times, situations where uh, maybe we can't take our gun with us on, on our person somewhere. I mean, a great example is going to the post office. Post offices are off limits. Uh, I, you know, say what you want to say about various things. I know there's, there's people out there who'll be like, well, concealed is concealed. You know, they don't, they won't know what they don't know, you know, like, uh, what they don't know won't hurt them and won't hurt me. That kind of attitude, meaning that people still carry a gun on them, even when it's not legal to do so into, not only non-permissive environments, but like non-legal environments. And uh, yeah. Okay. Do what you, what you want to do. All right. We don't advocate for anything illegal on this podcast. Cause like that would be not good for longevity of the podcast. Right. Um, but uh, I, I draw a line, especially like we could talk about non-permissive environments, but I draw a big line, Matthew, where federal law is involved because those guys don't mess around, right? Like, like where you might find in some local jurisdictions some leeway or some discretion exercised by certain law enforcement officers. Yeah, I think it's very rare, if ever, that you would find a federal law enforcement law uh, officer that would be like, would like look the other way if you were found in a federally protected jurisdiction carrying a firearm, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're, we're talking about how we deal with some of those situations, but we're talking about some problems in, 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 in a common practice. I mean, we're talking about something that is advertised regularly on social media and other websites. And that is the idea or the attitude of holsters for your vehicle. All right. So, uh, Jared's commenting on YouTube. I've worked in the federal prison. You do not want to live there. <laughs> yes. I appreciate you letting us know that. I, I do not need to taste the pie to know it is not a good pie uh, in the case of federal prison. So anyway, today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. Uh, they are sponsored. The podcast have been for a good time now. Uh, they are awesome dudes they they are absolutely solid second amendment supporters um and, and they're hardworking guys i mean here's the thing 
when you place an order with ammosupplywarehouse.com, they ship that stuff quick. All right. I've, I've always had very, very fast shipping from them, which has always impressed me. Part of the secret to that is whereas most businesses will have a single location, they actually have two locations, one in the, on the kind of the eastern side of the country and one on the western side. I think their eastern locations like Pennsylvania or Indiana or I don't know, thereabouts. I think it's in Pennsylvania and the western ones in Las, in the Las Vegas area. Uh, and so what's great about that is you choose when you go to your web to their website whether you're west or east of the mississippi and that's going to dictate where stuff ships from and that means it'll usually get to you quicker than it otherwise would so really cool business solution there and they're like i said good guys now we know that ammo is hard to find and it's even hard to find on their website at times but it does show up all right, I've seen ammo listed on their site multiple times in the last month or so. That means be there watching, be on their email list, get notifications of when, because they, I think every time they get ammo in, they send out an email. Hey guys, just got a big shipment of blah, 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 brand and, you know, nine millimeter or whatever. So do that, be on their email list, follow their website, support our friends at Ammo Supply Warehouse. Uh, and yeah. I, we're, we're, we're proud to be associated with them. Guardian Nation members save 5% off purchases and Guardian Nation members will find that, that discount code in the members dashboard area of Guardian Nation. So ammosupplywarehouse.com. Thank you for being sponsors. Also sponsored today is XS Sites. Uh, they were sponsoring uh, or they were a, li- a listed sponsor of our earlier podcast episode today. But here they are again. Uh, they, they are a title sponsor of the podcast as well. Uh, which we're excited to have them as part of the, uh, the the family, so to speak. Again, I I've talked about it before, but I've run their F8 night sites for for several years now. Very happy with them. Brian Eastridge over at the On Duty Off Duty podcast, another another podcast in our in our network of shows. Uh, also, I think recently introduced to the Excess Sites F8s, mm-hmm. and he has been speaking very highly of them. Uh, so, and I'll tell you, Brian is a heck of a shooter. So, and, and he's a shooter that knows what shooters like. Uh, so, to, to see him get his first set of F8 night sights, uh, put it on his Breda 92 that he's very fond of and shoots very well, and, and to hear his very positive feedback of those sights, you know, of how visible they are in a variety of lighting conditions, uh, nice high contrast. Uh, that's what I appreciate about him. You know, basically a blacked out rear notch that's generous in the, in terms of that, that notch width. Uh, you really don't want a notch that's too narrow or too tight in iron sights, especially where shooting at speed is a part of the fact, you know, part of the equation. Um, and then having very high contrast front sight, and, you know, in relation to that rear notch, for me at least, has worked very well. Uh, when I shoot iron sights, now, I shoot more of a red dot pistol these days. But you know, just recently I was you know, doing some practice on on my iron on one of my iron sided pistols again, and you know, just because that's that's it's good, you know, to keep keep that up uh, to remind yourself what it's like to shoot irons, even though the dot is easier, uh, at least it is for me. So anyway, XS sights, guys, check them out. Uh, great, great guys over there, great crew, um, and they make a quality product. That's the other thing that I really appreciate about them is they make everything themselves in Texas. They're one of the few site manufacturers in the U.S. that manufacture 
their own tritium vials in the case of their night sites. Now, that's actually a pretty big milestone to achieve because you have to get government certification to handle tritium, which is radioactive material, to manufacture those night sites. They're able to do all that in-house, make a quality product with great quality control for a very reasonable price. Check out xssites.com. Let's get into it. Matthew, so yes, we're talking, you know, we're preparing for this episode and you you actually brought up, you, you mentioned the idea like, hey, what about, you know, these these magnet holsters that we see quite extensively now? I, I, I see at least half a dozen times each week on on Facebook, you know, and at, probably more than that, to be honest with you. I, so much so I kind of ignore them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there's another one, you know, but you're just scrolling along and you see magnet holster mm-hmm. you know and also there's some holsters out there too that are advertised like they they hold the gun in there whether it's a magnet or some other device that holds it in there it's basically a, a, a holster that's mounted onto the lower dashboard of your vehicle and it's right there and you can grab it and also rack and chamber around all in one motion and, and mm-hmm. put your gun into use and i was like yes let's talk about that your car is not a holster and that's <laughs> so I'm getting it out of the way right now, brother. I'm I'm probably making somebody angry out there with with us, um, and that's okay. But that is that is my personal belief. It's my professional belief uh, based on a number of logical and reasonable reasons, reasonable mm-hmm. reasons, <laughs> um, because there are problems I believe associated with. Storing, keeping, holstering, whatever, your gun in the vehicle as part of the vehicle using a vehicle mounted holster, a magnet, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the purpose of today's episode. But before we get into maybe what some of those reasons are, I kind of wanted to hear uh, kind of your initial, I don't know, thoughts or your take, if you will, on, on, on this concept, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, this is why I kind of propose this because I, I I'm I'm on a social media like hiatus. I try to not get on there, but every time I do, I see these these things, and um, and a lot of students ask in classes about them, and and it's like this idea that it'll be so much easier for me to get to my gun, and it's more comfortable, and all this stuff, and um, it's one of those things. It's it's I I think it's a very dangerous. I, I think it's a dangerous device. In, in the sense that not, not the device itself is dangerous, but it puts you in a mindset that is not correct. And I think it leads to a lot of other things. And we kind of fleshed out six major, um, you know, concepts of why it, it not just a, a mag, a, you know, magnetic mount is bad or, or, or removing your gun and putting it in some sort of holster in the console or the, the glove box type thing is, is not an ideal um, ideal solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that is kind of the colloquial term, if you will, that people sometimes refer to as a glove box gun mm-hmm. or my truck gun or, you know, that sort of thing. And without really getting into the weeds on some of that, like I'm not even so much talking about rifles here today which when when people say truck gun that's usually where my mind goes is oh, it's my this is my truck gun my ar that i keep in my truck for those times when you know there's something going down i gotta get i gotta fight my way to my truck with my pistol and grab my truck gun and solve the problem um that's a whole other 
topic that could be explored and, and one that is, I'll just put it this way. The likelihood of you ever needing a truck gun is just like astronomically high um, or excuse me, low, very, very, very low likelihood. Um, and also like you, you, ex- you extracted yourself from a situation and you got to your vehicle and now you're going to go back into that situation with a gun. I mean, yeah. Okay. Some people have the sheepdog attitude or whatever. Like, all right, knock your socks off. Like, good for you, brother. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, that's not what the concealed carry lifestyle, uh, for us is about as we have consistently taught here on the podcast for many years. Anyway, I'm already getting kind of off topic here a little bit, but let's talk about the the idea or the concept of a vehicle holster or or transporting your gun, your defensive pistol in the vehicle somewhere that's not on you, on your person, right? That's what we're talking about here is two distinctions. Like I could be in my vehicle and have my gun on me in a holster, right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the idea that you have a holster or a magnet or something uh, attached in the vehicle and the guns mounted or the guns even just like stored in your center console or glove box. That's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. So somewhere in the vehicle that's not on your person. Okay. Now, we're excluding from that situations where you might have the gun in the vehicle, not on your person for legal reasons where it's unloaded and locked up or something like that. I mean, what we're going to address that a little bit anyway, but first what we're going to do is break down and talk about the idea of you're carrying that gun for defensive purposes, but you're not carrying it on your body. You're carrying it, in some way, shape, or form in the vehicle itself or attached or stored in the vehicle? I think it probably happens a lot to people that carry maybe small of the back or maybe, you know, traditional IWB strong side because it's not as comfortable, you know, and and, and the access to the firearm yeah. isn't is great. So they say, well, you know, I realize that that's a downfall of carrying smaller back. So I'm going to increase my odds or likelihood that I'll be able to get it if somebody carjacks me or whatever. Um, and I'm going to put it in a in a location in the car that I have easy access to. I think that's kind of like how that ball gets rolling a lot mm-hmm. of times. Agreed. Yeah. You know, I've uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. It, it's either a comfort issue or it's an access issue. So you're exactly right that the idea is that people believe that having it in a car holster will be faster for access, which, okay, if you carry in a really crappy location like small of back, because it is, it's a crappy carry location. uh, Maybe there's some truth to that, but um, I even think that from like on or near your hip, like three to four o'clock, maybe even a touch like, beyond that 430, I think it's probably still faster to access on your body and in a holster than it is from a, an actual car holster. Um, and you could test this, okay? Now, maybe your draw from your holster itself is crappy to begin with. Well, in that case, fix that, okay? Because you should fix that because you should be doing dry fire practice every night until you have at least a decently 
efficient and fast draw from wherever you carry on your body, like that should be without question already an established skill for you. And if it's not, then you should be dry firing every day like a crazy person until you can draw from your holster in your usual carry position without even thinking about it. Okay. And at a pretty good clip, you know, the standard would be, well, what I'd like to see from every student is at least, at least being able to draw and fire one shot from their holster in less than a second and a half and usually faster. And most people who go through classes with me are going to be really close to or below the one second mark in very little time at all. But anyway, that's not what this is about. Again, it, I mean, I brought that up to make the point that you could time drawing from a car holster with drawing from the holster that's mounted to you. And at least in my experience, it's always been faster for me just to draw from the gun that's on my person. Because pro, there's proprioception is a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I need... when if I need to reach for an object that's mounted somewhere in my vehicle, I, proprioception doesn't exist. Proprioception is self body awareness, right? That's how I can reach up and touch my left ear with my left finger without thinking about it. And without looking at it, without seeing it, I can reach up, touch my nose. I can touch my two index fingers together without looking at them because I have proprioception, Right. I carry appendix with my gun offset just slightly from my belly button, basically. And one example I could use is that if I stick my thumb of my drawing, my shooting hand down, basically at my, my belly button, I'm going to hit the grip of my gun almost perfectly every time. And it's very easy and simple to learn that using proprioception. But when you have the gun mounted in a holster on the vehicle in some form or fashion, you only have, quote unquote, muscle memory or a learned automated process that you've done so many times that you know how and where to reach or move or do this thing without like you you just sort of automatically do it because you've practiced so many times. But what if there's that one time that your body shifted in your car seat slightly different than what you practiced a thousand times. Now your arm's going to naturally reach a slightly different location. What if you just got in a car accident and maybe the gun didn't actually come out of the holster, but maybe the holster shifted slightly or something shifted or the dash underneath you crumpled slightly because you were in this car accident. And now all of a sudden you need that gun because the dude that hit you is is somebody that he's a carjacker and he's looking to take the next thing, right? The next car, the next getaway. And now things have shifted just enough that you go to reach for your gun and it's not where it normally would be. Right. See, see, this is what I'm getting at. Like always drawing from somewhere on your person will be better, faster, more consistent than drawing from a prepared or installed car holster of some kind. Now, when we use the term car holster in today's episode, we're, we're including in those things, things that aren't necessarily holsters by definition, but are devices for holding or storing or handling, you know, the, the firearm, holding it in a certain place or position. So the car magnets, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you mentioned one of the big ones, um, 
you know, the, you, you address the speed issue, but like you addressed uh, traffic collisions. I would, I would also include in traffic collisions, like, and that speed, like trying to grab the gun and po- potentially knocking it off that magnet. Right. And now it falls on the ground and you can't get to it. But certainly anybody who's been involved in a, in a traffic collision knows that if once, once you're in a, in a decent traffic collision, it doesn't even have to be, you know, fender benders, probably not, but like anything with any sort of speed stuff goes flying all over that vehicle. Mm-hmm. And if it goes flying outside of the car, it could go, it, I mean, it could be anywhere. Right. And so it's, it's yep. just not, it's not ideal. I mean, it, you, you want that firearm where somewhere where you can, you know, where it is, you have control over it. And when you need it, you know exactly where it is, even if yep. you were in a, in some sort of a vehicle collision. So yep. Yep. that's, that's a huge one. So, you know, and, and I did set it up uh, almost in, I would say almost intentionally to have that segue into our first uh, uh, issue, if you will, with car holsters. And that is what you, you just mentioned, the traffic collision. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been on the scene of car accidents, I'm sure. I've been on the scene of car accidents. I actually just had one not that many you know months ago of a rollover that happened on I-25 on my way home one day from the range, no less. Uh, fortunately, nothing too major in terms of that. The, the gen- it was an impaired person, uh, some kind of DUI. I didn't stick around to find out enough, but it was clear that he was impaired. Um, ran off the road, rolled over, right? I've seen it more than once, number of occasions. And what you find is during rollovers or other types of accidents, a lot of times I use the rollover as an example, but, but it really is any type of vehicle accident can result in this, but stuff gets thrown and strewn everywhere. It's like a yard sale, <laughs> especially rollovers. You, yes, exactly. Wherever the path of that vehicle was when it was rolling over, like it starts at point A and 200 feet later finally comes to rest. Like you're going to find a yard sale of 200 feet of items, stuff that this person probably hasn't seen in five years, strewn all across the ground. They're like, oh, that's where my, you know, XYZ thing is that I thought I lost went, you know? Um, that's because that's just how it goes. Like, I had it, a, it can also cause injuries, like to to the yes. to the occupants of the vehicle, stuff flying around inside the uh, mm-hmm. inside the vehicle. So that's another absolutely, concern. absolutely, it does. That is a major cause of injuries during accident. Is not the accident itself, but but items impacting uh, passengers. Everything from glass to metal to you know tools and different things. Absolutely. Um, I had a dear friend in a in a rollover accident uh, a couple years ago. And we went back to the scene of the accident. Uh, I gave him a ride because, hey, they just had their vehicle totaled. His wife was still in the hospital, but it was important that you know we went back as soon as possible because he knew stuff was strewn all over, and he was looking for a couple of items. Um, and, and there had been some rain, and he was hoping that things were okay. And we went back there, man. Like we searched and found just stuff all over the place. It was crazy. Anyway, so that's our first um, major argument, if you will, against the idea of a car holster. What is it? it you might think that your car holster is going to retain that gun. You might think your car holster is going to stay retained to whatever it's attached to in the vehicle, but there are no guarantees. And I can promise you that the forces involved in vehicle accidents are much greater than you can imagine. Maybe, I don't know if I have on the podcast or not, but 
well, not, you know, uh, actually, actually it's been a little over a year. I was in a, a little bit of a car accident myself where I was struck from behind by a drunk driver. Didn't do any major damage to my, to my truck, but it, and it wasn't like, I certainly wasn't really in, I, I wasn't personally injured. The impact itself didn't seem that great in the moment. But what amazed me was that from as non-severe as that impact was, which by the way, it actually happened at high speed. I was going 75, 80 miles an hour and I, when I got hit from behind. It, that was kind of interesting. But that little bit of an impact sh- shuffled things enough in my own vehicle. Like for instance, my phone was sitting in my cup holder and it shot out of that cup holder and I had no idea where it went. And that was less than to me because I couldn't find my phone. And I needed a call to report this accident because the drunk driver ran. It was a hit and run, you know? And so like that was not a severe impact, but it was enough to jostle everything around and cause things to reappear that I hadn't seen in a while and cause some things that I would have expected to be in place, like in my cup holder, but suddenly my phone was gone and I found it like buried well underneath my seat, like hard to find. Like, the fact is you get an accident. It is incredibly unpredictable what will happen with objects inside the vehicle. And you cannot guarantee or promise that your your gun will remain secure in a holster or on a magnet inside that vehicle, no matter how strong it is. And we know it's a we know it's a thing that happens that people get in accidents and violent criminal acts occur following the accident. It, it happens where the person that maybe caused the accident or that you got in an accident with becomes irate and violent towards you because of the accident. It could be that it's a carjacking. Okay. So imagine a number of scenarios. We need to move on for Matthew's benefit looking at the clock. <laughs> Accidents. That's a big one. Yep. How about this, Matthew? Not having it when you need it. Yep. Yep. Tell us what that's about. Yeah, I would just say, you know, you you have this awesome setup, this rig that is in your car that you can access in your mind much quicker and you get out to pump your gas. Are you going to now take that gun and holster it in view of people that, that you know, might now see you having this gun or maybe you just leave it there and you're like, OK, if somebody comes up, I can get to the car quick enough. Or so, you know, you get out to, to pump the gas and then, you know, you drop something or you, you it starts to blow in the wind. You get a little bit further away from your car. Now you're separated. Um, somebody comes up to you and you don't have your firearm or, or, or you know, you need it. You don't have it because it's in the vehicle. Um, I, it's, it's just leaving it in the car. Even if you, in your mind, you're like, well, when I get out of the car, I'll grab it. You know, I'll get a, a holster it up before I get out and, and, and it'll be good. I would be willing to bet that you know, you get in and out of your vehicle enough times that you're going to forget one time. And I don't know if that would be the time that you need it. I would hope not. And you would probably hope not as well. But it, it you know, it, if you need it and it's in the vehicle, it's, it, it, it's a done deal, right? Like why even have it then? So um, for me, it doesn't make any sense to, to have it um, not on your person because that's, you go wherever you're going to be, right? Like the car may not. So have that gun with you so you can use it. Mm-hmm. It's not only forgetting it as it might be sometimes um, it's human nature to be lazy mm-hmm. and it requires work to take a gun off of your person 
put it in another object, a holster, for instance, a magnet, and then put it back on and take it off and put it back on. You know, for instance, like you're like, whether it's a comfort thing, a legal thing or something else where you're in the car and you're like, oh, this is uncomfortable to carry the gun on me while I'm driving. So I'm just going to take it off my holster and stick it on my, my magnet. You get to your next stopping point and, you know, say, well, you know, actually, I think it was Jared on YouTube that talked about somebody he knew that was involved in a stabbing incident. So I'm going to throw that comment up on the screen here. We'll just read what he said here. He said, I know a guy that left his pistol holstered in his car to run in and grab a cup of coffee. See, this is what I'm talking about here. You're, we are naturally humanly lazy. And we're like, oh, I'm just going to be in for a minute. Just grab my cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, I'm not going to grab that gun off you know, my car holster, my magnet out of my glove box and bother to go through the effort of reholstering it and all this stuff because I just got to run in there and grab my coffee and you know, back out here in, in a minute, like no big deal. And next thing you know, as Jared, I'm going to continue quoting from him. He says he was involved in a stabbing incident and fought a knife-wielding person that stabbed two people without a gun. That That is not a situation you want to be in, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's either you forget it or you're, you're lazy. But I promise you, you will encounter a situation where you are too lazy to put the gun back on your person. People out there will disagree. They'll say, no, 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 because I'm committed to... <laughs> A lifestyle like i will never make that excuse oh crap because you're human and i know you are and I, that's the way we operate you will make an excuse at some point because that's what we do mm-hmm. just is um and so or or you'll say well i'll never make that excuse you will forget at some point because again you're human just like matthew is talking about so, uh, and this could happen a variety of ways. It's running into the coffee shop, the grocery store. Uh, it's, but it could also be that you see you see a situation, or you're involved in a situation um, that starts out as one thing and morphs into something else. Meaning, like maybe it is a fender bender, maybe it's a road rage incident. But as part of that, for whatever reason, even if it's unwise, you step out of the vehicle and before you know it, you're out of the vehicle, separated from your gun. And now this devolves into a violent self-defense situation and you can't get to your gun because guess what? You left it in the heat of the moment, which is completely natural in the vehicle because there wasn't time to put the gun back on your person. So not having it when you need it is reason number two why car holsters are a bad idea. Agreed. Number three, theft from vehicle. Theft from vehicle. We already had uh, Memphis on Facebook uh, sharing some some things relating to this, uh, but uh, because you either forget it or you have to leave it in the vehicle for legal reasons, non-permissive environments, etc. But you elect for whatever reason not to lock it up in in some kind of vault or something inside the vehicle, or at least put it out of sight. Uh, but anyway, thefts from vehicles are a big problem. Okay, so in preparation for this episode, uh, Matthew and I did some research, and I've I've done this before. I've come across stories like this just in my day-to-day reading and studying, you know, of, th- of issues like this in the industry. Um, but 
A theft of guns from vehicles is one of the primary methods that criminals obtain guns for criminal and illicit activity. Memphis shared in the Facebook comments, just in Memphis, Tennessee, in the year 2020, more than 1,200 guns were stolen from vehicles <laughs> just in one city. My own Google search, I typed in guns stolen from cars. Four-word keyword phrase. Uh, first result was from my local Denver news uh, station. And the title is More Coloradans Leaving Guns in Cars Where They Can Be Stolen. And it talks about a 26.7% increase in gun thefts compared to a three-year average. It actually talked for the year 2020, not just the year, actually six months, the first six months of 2020, over 300 guns were stolen just in the city of Denver. So over the course of a year, the extrapolating that probably be over. And I, I seem to re recall seeing a follow-up article to this because I, I think I even re referenced it at one point. I could be wrong. I know I came across something. I think that for the year 2020, Denver saw over 700 gun thefts from vehicles. Other headlines from my search. NPR, many cities seeing a rise in guns stolen from cars. Talks about Atlanta, the number of stolen gun car cases from cars. Uh, rising from 2009 to 2018, went from 439 to over a thousand. In St. Louis, in the same time period, went from 590 or from 200 stolen guns from cars to over to, to 597 in the year two, 2018. Um, NBC12.com: Police warn gun owners thieves are targeting firearms and cars. Another issue out of another example of it, really, from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, WKRN.com. 30% of guns stolen from vehicles were in Midtown. Uh, and it doesn't tell me more. It's being slow to load. But anyway, you get the idea. Like you, And then here's another, another one here. Up to 600,000 guns are stolen every year in the U.S. It is estimated. Over 600. And that seems to me probably like a little high. But, and actually to say here in the article, it clarifies it, and quantify or uh, yeah, clarifies a little bit more. It says that they estimate it's between 300,000 and 600,000, mm -hmm. but it could be as high as 600,000 guns stolen out of vehicles every year. It's unacceptable. It is. It is. That's a big, big, big time problem. So the question is, Matthew, forgetting it is one thing. Having it be sort of like a habit or a routine in your life where you elect to have a gun stored in your vehicle for whatever reason for periods of time, like a so-called truck gun. Um, I, I know someone personally that I've talked to about this, and I, I hope they don't do this anymore, but I know for years they had a gun that was kept in the glove box. Like That was just a thing. That's my glove box gun. It's always there. I know it's there. If I need it, I can grab it. Um that's a problem, you know, because eventually like it's, there's a likelihood that your vehicle gets broken into and they're going to rummage through things. And they're going to find it. And now your gun is stolen. Right. So how, how might we manage that a little bit better? What's a better way? Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the concept that we're talking about now have the gun on you. You won't forget it in the car. Let's say that you have to leave it in the car because you're going to non-permissive environment or something like that. Um, you use a car vault. There's vaults that you can mount inside your in your car. Um, 
you can at least get like a steel cable. It's not going to stop every criminal, right? They, I mean, bolt cutters will probably cut right through it, but um, you're doing something that will at least in, uh, you know, dissuade the, the common person who's just trying to grab a purse or a bag out of a vehicle and happens to see a gun, they're going to take that. But if they have to do extra work, you may dissuade that person from taking extra time to try to, you know, cut through cables and things like that. Cause if they just have a center punch and they're punching windows and grabbing bags and taking off on a bike, they're probably not going to spend the time to search under seats and um, break, you know, boxes away from that are mounted to the floorboard or something like that. So just take some common sense steps. So uh, it's just being a responsible gun owner, just like you would at your own home, you know? Yep. Yep. I'm with you there. I, I ha- and I've I've talked about this about this before, but I have a simple locked pistol vault that's in my vehicle that is there for that purpose. Again, it's not going to for sure keep a th- a thief from getting into it if they if they care enough to try uh, and have enough time and tools and whatever to to make it a lot easier to do so. Uh, but it, it, it certainly will slow down, you know, and a lot of car th- thefts that occur, especially in public places during the daytime, that kind of thing are, are going to be smash and grabs. Like they, they see something that of, looks of interest through the window, smash, grab what they can get the heck out. Cause most, most vehicles these days have alarms. Right. And so like by nature of that, it's going to draw attention. So it, it's, it's all about the, the smash and grab. And if at the very least, if you have a pistol vault with a cable that's wrapped around a seat frame uh, that, you know, they're not going to be able to grab and run it, run with that very easily. It's all about, you know, it, to me, that's like the most basic thing you could do. That's going to dissuade that theft from occurring, at least of the firearm. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go above and beyond that, which is obviously more is better. So, um, yeah. The other thing is locking your cars, right? right? Like a lot of people still don't lock their vehicles. And I, you know, I realize that some of you live in very quiet, small rural communities or whatever. And like, it's not a thing or I don't know, but I'll tell you what, okay, maybe you don't lock your car much of the time, but if you do, for whatever reason, have to leave a, a firearm in your vehicle, well, then make sure you lock it. Right. Um, I, I see all the time. Maybe not all the time, but I see posts on like next door, you know, social media mm-hmm. kind of site for communities and stuff. And like, I'll see posts from, from people in the area and they're like, oh, my car got broken into and people will be like, well, was it locked? Oh no. Well, you know, <laughs> and, right. and of course there, yeah, it brings up victim shaming and blaming and whatever, like, okay, whatever. Like, yeah, guess what? You don't lock your car and someone gets into it and it makes you unhappy. They got into it. Well, that's kind of on you. It is what it is. Anyway. Um, yes, lock up your stuff. You got to leave it in the vehicle. If you have a trunk, use a trunk. Not a bad idea, right? Have a, have a discreet locking pistol vault or something that you can, uh, put the gun in and, and, and stick it in the trunk like that. You know, I don't have a trunk, but that's why I got things either bolted down or cabled in, in my own vehicle. So give that some thought, have a strategy for what you do with the firearm in, in those limited cases where you have to remove the firearm from your person to go into some kind of place of business or government uh, 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 building or, or something of some kind. Here's another reason. Unauthorized access by children. Okay. We did another search. And honestly, I hate doing these searches because every time I do it depresses me because it brings to my memory of just how common 
these things are, these stories. Uh, we searched, I searched child, or child found gun in vehicle. And the results would shock you. Uh, again, uh, in terms of how often they occur and the tragedies that occur because of these. Uh, I'll give you a couple of really quick examples and I'll hand it off to you, Matthew. But I'm just going to read some headlines. Two-year-old, this happened 21 hours ago, by the way. 21 hours ago in Mississippi, Canton, Mississippi. Two-year-old child finds gun, accidentally shoots sibling in head. Next one, one day ago. Nine-year-old child shot by two-year-old sibling after gun left in car. Actually, I think that's the same one. Um, but there's two results right there. Uh, here's another one. 11-year-old shot and killed after kids find unattended gun in vehicle. Here's another one. Uh, Texas boy, 11, fatally shot after unattended boys find gun in car. Um, child found gun, accidentally killed sibling and injured self in shooting. Okay. All these examples of children finding guns in cars. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these you would think, well, I don't leave my gun in the car for an unextended period of time. Some of these are very like the one, the one case or situation I read was literally the parent walked inside a little Caesars to grab their hot and ready. So it takes all of 90 seconds. And during that very brief amount of time, that's the two-year-old that found the gun and then shot his nine-year-old sibling in the head. By the way, the nine-year-old seems to be in stable condition pulling through. Very fortunate. But this that's how quick this can happen. Like You're like, I'm just running in to do this thing. My gun that's underneath the seat, ah, it's probably not an issue because the kids are in their car seats, they're buckled in, whatever. Kids, man, like I know I've got five of them. Stuff happens quick. Yeah, I, I, I can't add anything other than it's the most irresponsible thing you can do. And like if you want to leave it in your car and you're by yourself and all that, um, you know, you, you suffer the consequences when you have a child in your vehicle or you have children at home that may get into your vehicle. Um, while you, you know, while it's parked in your driveway or in your garage or something and you leave it in there um, and they have access to your vehicle, that's irresponsibility. It's, it's just, it's irresponsible. It, it, there's no other way to put it. And, um, you know, it, people might say, well, I train my kids not to touch guns and I grew up about guns and that's all great. I'm sure these parents that had this happen to them had all kinds of reasons why their kids wouldn't have touched the gun or they would have remembered to take the gun inside or whatever excuses, because these parents wouldn't have left. I would assume wouldn't have left the gun there if they knew the kid was going to do that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you don't plan for. The only way you prevent it is by keeping the gun on you because inevitably you'll forget inevitably something will come into your life that will distract you that will keep you from bringing that gun inside the house or leaving it in there. And it's just, you, you can't go back in time. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's just, it's, it, it is depressing. It's very depressing. I mean, another example, I'm even reminded of, I think the situation was the mother had the gun in her purse mm. and left the purse in the back seat. And while she's driving, the child finds her gun and shoots her mom through the back of the of the driver's seat while the mom's driving the car. Yeah. You know, like just so many little things you need to think about as far as where your gun is, how you're carrying it, all that. that that's why we've why we consistently preach about the best place for the gun for you, for your safety, the safety of those you care about is on your person. 
Okay. There's other ways and strategies of carrying a gun, but that's the best way is somewhere on your body. Anyway, we, we got to keep moving along here. Um, so, so far we've talked about theft from vehicles, not having it when you need it, traffic collisions, unauthorized access by children. Matthew, I'd like you to talk uh, briefly about law enforcement interactions and, and the problem that could create. Yeah, this is a pretty straightforward one, right? Like if you have a gun out in the open and you get stopped by police, there's now I'm not talking about the shotgun hanging in the back window or the long gun, right? Like in, in the back window, you can see that from, from miles away, right? Um, as, as the officer's approaching, but I'm talking about, you know, at night, um, tinted windows, things like that. Officers are coming up. They don't know who's in the vehicle. Um, you know, you might, it might be cold. You roll the windows down just a little bit. You're trying to see in, there might be extra people. You have to understand looking from the outside, the officer's point of view, looking in, um, and they see what looks like to be a firearm. You, I don't care if you, there's a duty to notify or not. An officer sees a firearm and maybe, you know, you're moving your hands to go grab your registration or something. It brushes up close to that. I would hate for you to get lit up by an officer whether it's right or wrong on that officer's part to perceive you as a threat, but just the mere fact that there's a, a gun that's obviously seen or something that looks like a gun, a motion towards the gun, and, and you end up getting lit up. You, you can't go back and say like, oh, it was the officer's fault. He should have known that I wasn't reaching, right? Like, um, so it, it can complicate the stop, right? It can complicate. And it, it also could it, it be an issue where normally the officer might be like, Hey, you know, you have a firearm in the car. Great. Where is it? Oh, it's in my holster. Okay. Just don't touch it. You'll be good. Um, it might, depending on other factors, it could cause that officer to, to say, you know what, for my safety, I'm going to have you step out of the vehicle while I issue the citation or we, we do this, conduct our business. So you're away from the the, the firearm because it's an ex readily accessible area. It's right there. Right. So, mm -hmm. which would be a little different than concealed under, uh, under a shirt, which would require, you know, you to draw it out to get it and stuff. So, it just complicates the stop, I think. Yeah, no, it does. It it increases your personal risk of something not going right or not going according to plan. Mm -hmm. um, when a firearm's introduced without warning and and that kind of thing ahead of time, uh, uh, it just just is increased risk. That's mm -hmm. something to be very mindful of and give some thought. So, yep. Um, and then finally. Increased administrative handling. And I know we had some comments on uh, Facebook and or YouTube <laughs> about this. Um, uh, but this is so true. Uh, if your practice is get in car, remove gun from holster, stick on magnet, then I get out of car and I stick back in holster and get out of the car. Well, guess what? That's administrative handling, meaning you're, you're, having, you're having to handle an unsecured gun. Now, I, I know there's some guys that will be like, well... I'll, I'll take my whole holster and everything out and it's got a clip and I can clip it onto my center console or my dash somehow or the door panel or something like that. And what I'd say to that is, well, that's still kind of a dumb idea because I can tell you already that will not be secure um, and will not be a consistent way of, you know, actually be able to find and draw and use the gun if you're relying on a holster that you actually clip onto something somehow. But anyway, an increased administrative handling, big time safety issue. Uh, and you're handling in a in a confined, compromised environment. Like you're you're in this tight space, which is a vehicle, the inside of a vehicle, trying to handle a firearm and not muzzle your 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 own body, your legs, especially your feet, uh, your your 
lower body, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, especially, right? Big, big time potential for safety issues uh, and, and shooting yourself uh, as you're trying to manipulate, maneuver, move, you know, handle your gun inside that confined space. So not advisable, not a best practice. So that's another big, big, big reason why you don't want to be using your gun or using your car as a holster (laughs) or a safe or a safe. (laughs) So pretty much what it comes down to is the best practice. And that's what we're about here is teaching you guys about best practices. And that is carrying the gun on your person because it's always going to be with you. It's going to be secure while it's on your person. It's going to be safe. It's going to be consistent and fast for you to access. All right. And the other piece along with that is occasionally you will find that you're in situations where you may need to remove that gun from you. Like I've talked, I've given examples about having to go to my kid's school, Mm -hmm. um, going to the post office or a few other places sometimes. And that's why I've got that vehicle pistol vault where I can temporarily store it safely. That's reasonably secure for a short period of time. You know, nothing like overnight, um, that kind of thing. It's, it's, you know, an hour or two, maybe four at the most, you know, depending on what's going on, but it's a limited uh, period of time and it's reasonably secure during that time and also out of sight mm-hmm. to prevent crimes of opportunity as they do sometimes and often do actually occur. So that is our six reasons why not to use your car as a holster. Or magnets. <laughs> yes, no magnets. Any for last words, Matthew? Magnets are for the refrigerator, right? Yes. Hold up your kids' artwork. <laughs> That's right. I'll tell you those those magnets that they advertise for car holsters or whatever. Uh, those things are really strong, mm-hmm. and uh, if you stick those, if you use those to hold your kids' artwork up on the fridge, good luck removing them. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we need to wrap it up and let you go. Yeah, this, you know, this is our, our, our final episode of this week. We'll be back next week. Should be on our usual Wednesday schedule next week. Uh, we'll be back with more great content for you, at least we hope. Don't be afraid. Don't be strangers. Feel free to email us at podcast at concealedcarry.com if you have any questions, suggestions for the show, ideas, uh, whatever. We'll do our best to get back to you or include or answer your questions or whatever on a future episode as well. Um, yeah. Matthew, have a great evening and a great weekend. You guys too. Absolutely. So until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. (laughs) 